Take your copy of God's Word and open it with me now to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll begin in a moment reading in verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 20. I believe that a lost world around us is watching and has two questions when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first question is, what happened? What really happened in or around a tomb in the Palestinian garden 2,000 years ago that changed history and turned the world upside down? Did a man who really died a crucifixion death on a Friday come back to life on Sunday? What happened? But the second question that I believe the world is asking is just as important. And that question is, why does it matter? Even if Jesus rose from the grave, what does that mean for my life today? How does that affect the way I live? How should that impact my home, my marriage, my children? my work, my beliefs, my lifestyle? What happened and why does it matter? Well, I've chosen this passage of Scripture this morning because I believe in these verses that we're going to read, Paul answers both of those questions. He answers that first question, what happened, in verse 20 when he says, Christ is risen from the dead. And he's going to give us some of the evidences for the resurrection of Christ in these verses, but he also answers that second question, why does it matter? And here's how he does it. You will notice that four times in the passage we're going to read, Paul says, if Christ is not risen. And he gives us a list of ramifications. It is a very negative list. He says, here are all of the bad things that would be true without the resurrection if Jesus did not rise from the grave. He's using a technique here where you demonstrate the truthfulness of a position by showing the absurdity of the alternative. And it's not that Paul is trying to emphasize the negative. He's emphasizing the positive. He's saying you should believe in the resurrection. That's the positive because if not, here are the consequences. That's the negative. Now we're going to notice in our text five clear and distinct things that Paul said would have been true if Jesus Christ had not risen from the dead. And for each one of these points, we're going to notice there's a negative side, but there's also a positive side. We're going to see also five things that are true because he lives. But first of all, Paul points out, if Christ is not risen, that means our faith is in vain. It means our faith is in vain. Look at verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. 
And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. If you're familiar with this particular epistle, you already know that the church at Corinth had problems. That's kind of saying it nicely, isn't it? They had problems. One of the problems they had in this church was the emergence of false teachers who came in and started to teach and influence the people who did not even believe that there was such a thing as resurrection from the dead. And so Paul is wanting to show them why this teaching is so dangerous. He said, if there is no resurrection, that means Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, get this, our preaching is empty. That means it is in vain. And the reason why our preaching is in vain is, is because that would mean the faith that we preach is also in vain. If Christ is not risen, that means right now I am wasting my time preaching and you are wasting your time listening. Without the resurrection, no preaching, no matter how eloquent the sermon may be, is worth listening to. Every sermon is just hot air. Now, Paul makes a very bold and blunt statement here. If Jesus did not rise from the dead... It's vanity to put your faith in him, and it is vanity to share that faith with others. And why is that? It is because Jesus staked everything, and I mean everything, on his own resurrection. We remember that story in John chapter 2 when he cleansed the temple and he overturned the tables of all the money changers. The religious leaders got so mad, and they asked him, by what authority do you do this? And you remember what he said? He said, you destroy this temple, talking about the temple of his body, and in three days I will raise it up again. Think about that. Jesus said, my resurrection is my authority. Not according to Howard, but according to Christ himself. If Jesus is risen, we should listen to him and heed what he says. But if he is not risen, we should disregard him and ignore what he says. If Jesus is not written, uh, risen, that means he was the greatest con man in history, and he doesn't deserve our worship or even our sympathy. There are some people today who say, well, you know, the resurrection really doesn't matter. It reminds me of some boys out on the playground that were getting ready to play a game of football, and they were dividing into teams, and each leader was picking his players, and about halfway through, it dawned on them that nobody bothered to bring a football. And so they stood there looking silly for a few moments, trying to figure out what they were going to do. And there was one little boy who said, well, never mind the football, let's just get on with the game. Well, that makes about as much sense as saying, never mind the resurrection, let's just get on with Christianity. It doesn't make sense. 
If Christ is not risen, preaching is vain because our faith is in vain. And I told you that for every negative point Paul is making in this passage, there is a corresponding positive point. If Jesus is not risen, our faith is in vain. But because he lives, our faith has a foundation. Because he died and rose again, just as he said he would, that means that we can trust everything that he says. Everything that Jesus said about life, about death, everything Jesus said about sin and judgment and heaven and hell and any other thing, you can take it to the bank. If Jesus died and rose again, that means that his word is the final word on everything. And so we don't have to wander aimlessly through life without any kind of direction, without any kind of moral compass to guide us. If, if Jesus is not risen, then that means our faith is in vain. But because he lives, our faith has a foundation, and the foundation of our faith is the living Christ. There's something else Paul tells us if Christ is not risen that we need to consider. If Jesus is not risen, that also means our witnesses are false. Our witnesses are false. Look at verse 15. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. In verse 15, Paul gives really one of the greatest reasons why we should believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, if Jesus is not risen from the grave, that means we are false witnesses. Now, it's interesting, false witnesses, that's just one word in the Greek, in the original language. And this one word that Paul uses, it's a combination of the word false, but also the word that translates martyr. Because these were witnesses, but these were witnesses who would be willing to be martyrs for the faith. These were witnesses who would be willing to actually die for their belief in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Paul's talking here about every person who was an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible says he appeared to hundreds after that first Easter. At least 20 are named. At least three were not believers prior to the resurrection. And one of the reasons why I personally, Howard Harden, believe in all of my heart that Jesus literally, physically, and historically rose from the grave is because I believe it is the only logical explanation for the explosive growth and expansion of the gospel in the first century. Paul says if Jesus was not raised from the dead, all of these witnesses who were willing to die martyrs' deaths for their belief in the resurrection of Christ, all of these witnesses were actually lying about what took place. If Christ is not risen, all of these witnesses were all a part of some great big conspiracy to fool the world into thinking that Jesus was alive when in reality he was not. And that in order to perpetuate and keep this conspiracy going, all of these witnesses were willing 
to die. Folks, it takes more faith to believe that than it does in the resurrection of Christ from the dead. I love the way Chuck Colson put it. Uh, Chuck Colson, and I have to say this now because some of you are, are young enough that you're not going to know him, but Chuck Colson uh, was a, a great man of God who, who was saved in the 20th century, but before his conversion, he worked in the Richard Nixon White House. Uh, Richard Nixon, the only president in U.S. history who had to resign because of scandal, the Watergate scandal, Chuck Colson had a nickname. He was referred to as Richard Nixon's hatchet man. And he was one of the few men who went to prison because of his actions in the Watergate scandal. Well, not long before he began to serve his prison sentence, he'd been considering the gospel, but he finally made that choice to follow Christ. And he was radically and gloriously saved. And years later, Chuck Colson wrote his autobiography, and he described, he made this comparison between what happened that first Easter and what happened in that Watergate scandal and how God actually used the Watergate scandal in order to bring him to faith in Jesus Christ and to convince him of the resurrection. Listen to what Chuck Colson said. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 Men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, or put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate, on the other hand, embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. <laughs> You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. If Jesus is not risen from the dead, then that means that all of those eyewitnesses to the resurrection were not just mistaken. But they were willfully wrong. They were liars. That means our witnesses are false. But on the other hand, because Jesus lives, what does that mean? That means that truth can be known. It means that we believe by faith, but it is not blind faith. It is based on the evidence that 2,000 years ago, Jesus of Nazareth indeed suffered Roman crucifixion and died and was found to be alive after the third day by many witnesses. And those witnesses then went out and filled the world with the preaching of the gospel, turning the world upside down. And even today, guess what? He is still transforming lives because he lives. He still changes hearts because he lives. He's still delivering those who are in bondage. If Christ is not risen, our witnesses are false. But because he lives, truth can be known. Amen. 
Paul mentions another consequence. If Jesus is not risen, if Jesus is not risen, our sins are not forgiven. Consider this in verse 17. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Paul goes from making apologetic arguments to making more theological arguments. He says, if Christ is not risen, guess what? There is still a God, and He is still holy, and you are still a sinner. You've still broken God's law, and the wages of sin is still death. And if Christ is not raised, what does that mean? That means you are still in your sins. That means you still need a Savior. That means unless something were to happen, you would be cut off from God for eternity in hell. Because, listen, it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that proves God accepted the payment Jesus made when he died on the cross for our sin. Let me put it this way, as practically as I can. Imagine that you are out shopping and you are visiting various stores And in one of the stores, you hold in your hand a bag that is filled with the merchandise you bought earlier in that day. Now, imagine someone comes to you and says, hey, those things in your bag, those aren't yours. That merchandise is not yours. What are you going to do? You're going to pull out the receipt And that receipt proves that the merchandise has already been paid for and is therefore your possession. Ladies and gentlemen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the empty tomb, is God's receipt. It is proof that God accepted the price Jesus paid on the cross. And therefore, listen to this, once you've placed your faith in him, everything that Jesus purchased by his death on the cross is now yours. Life, eternal life, abundant life, yours. Reconciliation with God, yours. Peace, yours. Hope, assurance, victory, heaven, forgiveness, strength, it's all yours. Paid for by the death of Christ and proven by his resurrection from the dead. If Christ is not risen, your sins are not forgiven, but because he lives, forgiveness is available. Deep down, everyone here knows that we need forgiveness. That is the basic, one of the basic needs of the human heart. And because Jesus not only died, but because he rose again, he is able to forgive us. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how many sins you have committed. Because we have a living Savior, he is able and he's willing to wipe the slate slate clean and remove your sins as far as the east is from the west and turn you and transform you into a new creation. If Christ is not risen... Our sins are not forgiven, but because he lives, yes, God's forgiveness is available to you and to me today. Something else that would be true if Christ is not risen, if Christ is not risen, 
I hate to tell you, our loved ones have no hope. Our loved ones have no hope. Listen to what he said in verse 18. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. As someone who has a number of loved ones waiting for me in heaven, i got to tell you, those verses hit very close to home for me. A lot of people at the church in Corinth were wondering about their loved ones who trusted in Christ, but they died. And they want, they want to know what's to become of them. Paul doesn't hold any punches here. He doesn't try to water it down to, to make them feel better about it. He says, oh no, if Christ is not risen, those loved ones that you cherish who died in the Lord, they have perished. That means there is no hope that you are ever going to see them again because if death has the final word about Jesus, that means death will have the final word about us. I say this from the bottom of my heart with all the sincerity that I can muster. If Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead, I would not preach another funeral sermon, not for all the money in the world. Not even one. If Christ is not risen, our loved ones have no hope. But again, the positive side, because he lives, what does that mean? That means death is defeated. Look at verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Amen. When a farmer goes out to his orchard and he sees that tree bearing the very first fruit of the season, he knows what that means. That means there is more to come. Likewise, Paul said that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the first fruits of those who are asleep, of those who have died in the Lord. In other words, just as the grave could not hold on to the body of Jesus that first Easter morning, neither will the grave be able to hold on to the bodies of those who have died in the Lord when Jesus comes again one day. Later on in this chapter, Paul describes what this is going to be like, this future resurrection that every child of God can look forward to. He says, one day we're going to have new bodies. One day there are going to be glorified bodies, immortal bodies, incorruptible bodies, bodies that do not ache or get diseased or age, or die. And as Paul describes this, you can tell he starts to get a little bit excited. Listen to what he says in verse 55. Old death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, meaning hell, where is your victory? I don't know this for sure, but I think if Paul had been writing this letter to the Corinthians in the 21st century, if he'd been sending this letter to them, not by parchment, but by email, I believe he'd be writing in all caps. <laughs> Don't you just love it when somebody sends you a text message or an email and every letter of every word is all caps? It's like you can just hear them in your mind just shouting at you a little bit. 
Paul gets down to the end of this chapter, and he gets a little bit emotional. He gets a little caught up. It's like you can hear Paul shouting in the text, saying, Death, where is your victory? Hell, where's your sting? When Jesus died on that cross, he took the sting of sin upon himself. And when he rose again, he defeated the grave like a worker bee that stings one time and loses its stinger. Death has no sting for the child of God. That's why Jesus said in John 5, 24, anyone who believes in him has passed from death into life. And that's why he said in John 6, 40, everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's why he said in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. If Christ is not risen, our loved ones have no hope. But because he lives, death is defeated. That leads us to one final thing in this passage that would be true if Jesus had not risen from the dead. That would mean our lives are meaningless. Verse 19 says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Without the resurrection, if this life is all there is, and the best we can look forward to is an eternity of nothingness, but the worst we can look forward to is condemnation and judgment, well, that means that those who would spend their few days on this earth following a dead Christ, they're the most pitiful people of all. And not just us, but without the resurrection, life becomes meaningless for everyone. For example, there was a famous atheist named Christopher Hitchens who died about 10, 15 years ago, influenced a lot of people, wrote a lot of books, gave a lot of speeches, but he died of cancer, and he was interviewed by Vanity Fair magazine very shortly before he died. And one of the questions that came out in that interview, he was asked what it was like to be dying. And this is what Christopher Hitchens said. He said, I am badly oppressed by a gnawing sense of waste. meaninglessness. You know, there really is this longing in all of us for our lives to count for something. For us to get to the end and to be able to look at our time on this earth and say, it was not in vain. Well, because Jesus died and because he rose from the grave, because he lives, I stand here today to tell you that life is worth living Life is worth living, listen, because God not only created you, he did everything necessary to save you and keep you for eternity. And for that reason, because he lives, we can know that no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what circumstances we face, no matter what trials we go through, we can know that one day, because he lives, it will all be worth it. Christ is not risen. What does that mean? It means our faith is in vain and our witnesses are false 
and our sins are not forgiven, and our loved ones have no hope, and our lives are meaningless, but praise the Lord because He lives. Our faith has a foundation, and truth can be known, and forgiveness is available, and death is defeated, and yes, life is worth living. That is the difference that the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes. In fall of the year 2010, the whole world was captivated by something that happened in the nation of Chile. There were these 33 miners who, as they were mining that tunnel through which they went down and came back up, they went in and they came out, that tunnel that they depended upon collapsed. And these 33 miners were trapped beneath, get this, 2,000 feet of solid rock. They rationed what few supplies they had down there. And for two months, they prayed that someone would save them. It was all over the news, all over the world. On the surface, you had a rescue team that was working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They consulted NASA. They consulted experts everywhere. And finally, they designed a 13-foot-tall capsule, and they started drilling a new tunnel to reach those men. There was no guarantee of success because, truthfully, no one who had been trapped that far for that long had ever lived to tell about it. But finally, on October the 13th, 2010, that tunnel was opened, and that capsule reached them. And those men, one at a time, began to emerge. One of them was a great-grandfather. One of them was a 44-year-old man who had been preparing for his wedding. Another was a 19-year-old. They were all different, and they had different stories, but they all had to make the same decision. They all had to decide to trust in someone else to save them. No one responded to that offer of rescue by saying, no, we can save ourselves. Just give us another drill. They all had stared at the inside of that stone tomb long enough to arrive at the same conclusion. They all concluded, we need help. We need salvation. We need a savior. We need someone from the outside who can come to us and penetrate this world that we find ourselves in. We need someone who can come to us and save us right here where we are. And when that rescue capsule came, they joyfully got on board, and all 33 of those men were saved. I tell you that story because we really have the same choice, trapped in the tomb of our own sin. We had only death to look forward to, but God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that He died on the cross for you and for me, and on the third day He rose again. 
And Jesus, because he rose again, he is our escape capsule. He is the only one who was willing to come from heaven to earth to live the life we should have lived, to die the death that we deserve to die. The only one who tasted of death and then overcame it when he rose again on the third day. And therefore, he is our escape capsule. He is the one who can save us. And that's why the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, because if he rose from the dead, guess what? He is Lord. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what I want to encourage many of you to do this morning. If Jesus rose, he is Lord, and he has the right to be Lord of your life and of my life today. And so I ask you today, will you accept that uh, escape capsule that offer of rescue that God has given to you in Jesus Christ, will you call upon him and surrender to him and follow him as Lord of your life today? Would you join me as we pray right now? With heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment, I am going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for all of us that God would give us the grace to take what we've read in the Word of God today and apply it to our lives, that, that we would fill our community and our state and this nation and this world with this news, not just of the resurrection, not just what happened, but also why it matters, why it's important, why it is that we must respond. Before I pray, maybe there's some of you here today who you know you need to take that step that you need to decide yes i will follow christ i understand i see i believe that he died for me but not just that he died for my sins but that yes on the third day he rose again and i'm putting my faith in him right now for the very first time i'm trusting him to save me and forgive me Remove my sins as far as the east is from the west and give me a brand new start. Jesus put it this way. He said, John chapter 3, you must be born again. That's what he called it, being born again. And so I just ask you, has there been that born again moment in your life, that moment when you said, I'm leaving my sin behind, I'm turning away from myself, my sin, my past, and right now, with all the faith that I can muster, I'm handing myself over to Christ and I will follow him. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you're, you're never going to sin again. But it means from this day forward, your life is not your own. And that you understand that you've been bought with a price and that you will follow Christ and live for him. And maybe some of you here today, you need to take that very step. You've never done that before. You've heard the story how Jesus died and rose again but you've never been confronted with how you are going to respond to that and why that's important, why it's critical for you to respond and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. If you're here this morning and you need to take that step of following Jesus and confessing Jesus as Lord for the very first time, if you know right now you need to give him, surrender to him, your heart and your life, 
In a moment, I'm going to pray, but I want to be able to pray specifically for you. Is there anybody here that would say, Pastor, that's me. That's where I am. That's what I need to do. I've been waiting. I've been putting it off. I've been making excuses. I've been enjoying life, living for sin, living for myself. But I understand that this is what I need to do. This is the step that I need to take, that I want to follow Christ. And today, I'm going to take that step, and I'm going to follow Jesus and confess him as Lord of my life. Anybody just by raising a hand would say, that's me, Pastor, that's where I'm at. That's the step that I need to take today just so I can pray for you. And if that's you, I'll lead you even right here, right now, just in a prayer of surrender to the Lord. Anybody that raising a hand would say that? Listen, Christian brother, Christian sister, you know someone who needs to hear what you have heard today. Not only that he died and rose again, but why this matters and so this is our job now to take what we've heard and do what that angel did 2,000 years ago and make that holy announcement. He is not here. He is risen. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for a risen Savior. We thank you that because Jesus lives, yes, we can know you. We can be saved. We can be forgiven. And life has meaning and it has purpose. The resurrection changes everything. And you've now given to us the responsibility to go and make that known, not just what happened, but why it is important. And so help us to take this and to carry it forward and give us a holy compassion and a holy boldness, all rolled into one, so that as we leave here, we would be witnesses as well. Father, I pray for everyone here today that we would respond rightly to the message that we've heard and to the, the verses that we have read, that we would not just read this and be casual about it, that we would understand that empty tomb requires a verdict from every single one of us. So show us what that should be in our lives today so that we can apply these glorious truths to our lives. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.